I love these stories that are encouraging, that, that have a little bit of a history involved. And I found one this week, uh, just a few weeks ago, a lady was renovating her cottage in Georgia. And uh, as the, the construction workers were tearing out the walls to, to, to redo everything, pretty much gutting the house, they found a wallet that had been there for 66 years. Evidently, when they were building the cottage, um, they are renovating it at that time. They dropped, the wallet fell behind a portion of the wall, and they lost it. Well, inside the wallet, of course, was everything that was in it when it was lost, uh, and several forms of identification and different papers and and things of that nature. So uh, the lady that that, uh, had purchased the cottage, who was renovating it, uh, Mary Kay Andrews, a a New York York Times bestselling author, Uh, She uh, took to Facebook. She got the pictures of the stuff inside the wallet, took to Facebook, and uh, set out to try to find the family member, somebody connected to this this couple. When she looked into the wallet, she found, again, identification of a lady by the name of Melba Lanier. And so she posts on Facebook, and sure enough, her kids see this wallet Uh, on Facebook, this post, and they contact Mary, and she was able to reunite them with her mother's wallet. And they're going to keep it, of course, as a family heirloom, but but what are the odds of that having happened 66 years after it was lost? An encouraging story, and and I think a, a good change of pace from some of the stories we hear in the news pretty much every day. Uh, I like encouraging stories, and and a story of something lost that's been found is especially encouraging, and one that we can all identify with, those of us who are followers of Christ, because that's our story. We were lost in sin, and we've been found, and it's every church's story. A church is full of believers, and, and those believers, we are a part of a church family because we have been saved. We were lost but now we are, we are saved by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, it's nice to see encouragement. And there is encouragement uh, in, in these letters, but there's also rebuke in five of the seven churches that's, that's written. But the one that we're going to look at today is one of the two churches where there is no rebuke. It's a letter of encouragement. Jesus is encouraging this church to remain faithful. They have been. They are continuing to be faithful, but they're going to face some challenges here in their near future, and and they need encouragement, and they need to buckle down, hunker down, so to speak, and, and stay faithful despite the challenges they're going to face. And we're going to, we're going to learn how encouragement will help us do the same thing in the midst of the challenges that we face, how we can remain faithful even though we face challenges and obstacles. So we're in this series, Jesus, uh, his message to the church, seven, Jesus' message to the seven churches of Revelation. And we've seen how uh, many churches don't know who they are. They don't know what to do. Dwight Gunner talks about churches today don't know who they are. They're, they're plagued by consumerism. Uh, there, there's no foundational purpose. There's, no, there's, there's nothing that drives churches, many churches, because they don't, they don't have an identity. And, and we can find within the churches, the letters to the churches in Revelation, what our identity should be. We've talked about purpose. We've talked about our vision, our mission, and it's all built on the foundation of who we are as the bride of Christ. And and unfortunately, many churches don't understand that identity, but Jesus anticipated all the problems associated with that or that would come from not knowing your identity, and he addresses them in these letters. And so the purpose of our series has very much to do with that. The purpose of our series is that we need to know who we are and what we are to do as the people of God. We want to know who we are, our identity, so that we will know what to do. Because what will happen if we don't is that if we don't know who we are, then we won't know what we're supposed to do, and then we're going to try everything to be effective, and the result will be confusion. The result will be uh, many different types of confusion and chaos, and we don't want that. We want to, to know our purpose, to know why we're here, and to do what God's called us to do. Last week, we looked at the church at Ephesus. That's the first church that's written to 
Ephesus had a great history, the church did. Uh, They had done a lot of things well. They were still doing a lot of things well, but they had one major problem, and that's that they had lost their first love. They had forgotten why they were doing the things they were doing in the first place. This week, we look at the church at Smyrna. And again, this is one of the the two churches where there is no rebuke. And in this this letter to this church, here's what what we read in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2. You can turn there if you haven't. Uh, Turn there and follow along with me or on your device or whatever you're using. Uh, But we'll read these verses together. Verse 8, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. The first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, says, I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what's about, what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have affliction for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. Now, we need some background, as with all of these churches. Can I understand the setting, what's going on here? Smyrna, uh, and, and uh, uh, it was an interesting city, uh, very similar to Ephesus in a lot of ways. Um, it was... Um, Founded by the Greeks in about 1000 BC, it was conquered in 600 BC and divided up into a lot of of small territories, small areas, uh, basically small cities. But then someone comes along and rebuilds Smyrna, and it becomes this this great city. The name Smyrna actually means myrrh, which is a, a an oil a perfume that we see in the Old Testament used as a fragrance. It's mentioned uh, several times. Uh, it was a component in oil that was used to anoint uh, folks, symbolically representing the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we see this, I mean, there's great significance in this name. Uh, but the city of Smyrna, again, was a lot like Ephesus. There's a lot of, of sinful activity going on. There's a lot of pagan worship, idol worship going on. Uh, it was loyal to Rome. And again, idol worship was prevalent. It was a free city, much like um, Ephesus was. It claimed to be the birthplace of Homer, uh, the ancient poet that, that wrote uh, the Greek poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, they claimed that it, it, when, when this letter was written in Revelation chapter 2, in, in John's day and time when this is being written, Smyrna had a lot of different temples, temples to Zeus, all Greek gods, Zeus, Apollos, Uh, Aphrodite. It also had a large Jewish population, and the Jewish population very hostile to Christians. So it's in this setting, pagan worship, idol worship, a lot of sinful activity, big city, Jews persecuting Christians, uh, other religions persecuting. That's not a good place to be a Christian, not an easy place to be a Christian, but an important place for this church to exist and to spread the gospel. Smyrna was a wealthy city. It was a free city, loyal to Rome, but free. A great city in many ways with a long tradition, uh, a long tradition with temples built to all of those Greek gods. It was a religious city, but it wasn't a Christian city. Sounds a lot like our country today, right? Religious, but not necessarily Christian. And so in the context of all of that, it was difficult to live faithfully. In fact, Christians were persecuted for their faith. Many that are being written to in this letter are suffering greatly because of their faith. And it's it's in this setting that Jesus delivers this message of encouragement to this church. And we can learn some lessons about faithfulness from this church. And the first is this. We see the reality of persecution. Persecution is real. Jesus says, I know your afflictions. Uh, He's not denying that they are suffering. That word afflictions is is interesting. It it means to be under pressure, as in a heavy weight. It was actually a word that was used to describe a form of execution where an individual, a large boulder, would be placed on that individual, and it would slowly crush that person to death. Graphic. But, But that's the word that's used here. And the idea is that you're under so much pressure, you're under so much weight, you're feeling the weight of whatever's going on in your life, that you feel like it's slowly killing you. 
that, that you can't get rid of it. It's, it's stress, it's anxiety, it's uh, whatever's going on in your life that's causing you to feel like there's, there's no way out, that, that slowly but surely it's crushing you under the weight, whatever that is. And, and we could point at a lot of different things right now and, and, and label that pressure like this. I'm sure a lot of you are going through things that have nothing to do with the pandemic, and maybe it's life circumstances. Maybe, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your marriage or, or, or something in your life. There's something that's weighing you down. There's pressure. That's the idea, and this church definitely had that, the pressure of, of being persecuted, of trying to live for the Lord in the midst of all of that that was going on that was unfriendly to Christianity. H.G. Wells wrote this in his autobiography. Most individual creatures since life began have been up against it. They have had to respond to unresting antagonism of their circumstances. There is the pressure to work, of work, the pressure of worry, the pressure of material circumstances, the pressure of opposition and antagonism and persecution. Under that pressure, many people collapse. Life becomes too much for them physically and mentally. They cannot stand the strain. A lot of you know all too well what that's all about. You're experiencing it now. You have in the past that weight that you live with that just seems to crush you to the point where you can't breathe. And Jesus says to you, just as he said to the church at Smyrna, I know your affliction. I know what you're going through. He's felt that affliction. He's felt that pressure. And he says, I know your poverty. There are two words or two meanings for that word poverty. One of them basically, not basically, it, it means that, that you just, you barely have enough to get by. You're poor, but you've got just enough to scrape by. Uh, that's not the meaning here. There's another meaning that means completely destitute. And that's the idea that you have absolutely nothing that you've been stripped of everything. You don't even have two nickels to rub together, so to speak. And that's the word that's used in these verses. These Christians in this time uh, in Smyrna were persecuted to the point to where they, they had nothing. No one would do business with them, not because they weren't uh, good business people or weren't trustworthy. It was just because they practiced the lifestyle that they did because they lived out their faith, and it was contrary to what uh, the idol worship, the pagan worship, to the Jewish lifestyle, style in so many ways because they identified as Christians. Everyone else in society said, we're not going to have anything to do with you. You're, you're not going to be able to, to function in this society. And that's, that's literally what was happening. They, they couldn't make money to put food on the table. And so they were being persecuted. They were absolutely destitute in terms of material possessions. So Jesus says in the midst of this, I know your affliction, and your poverty. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about persecution and death. So what do we do when we face these issues, where we're under pressure, where we're being crushed? What do we do today when we're confronted with affliction, when we're confronted with suffering, when we're confronted with sickness, when we're confronted with death? How do we handle it? You know, in this country, at least to this point, we're still not being persecuted like they were. I mean, we don't have to fear dying for coming to worship on Sunday. Now, there may be other reasons why we can't gather together, but we, it's not because it's against the law. It's not because we're afraid we're going to be killed for gathering. Uh, we, we don't have to worry about being thrown in jail for, for living our faith. We are seeing more and more of this kind of exclusion because of our lifestyle, and I believe we'll see more in the future, so we need to be prepared. I mean, it's, it's, it's feasible that this type of persecution where you can't do business, for example, because of your faith, or you're, you're, you're uh, persecuted in the sense that, that you're left out of things and, and you're, you're not allowed to participate in life uh, as others are, uh, is, is very, very feasible. We see signs of that, so we need to be prepared. And we're all certainly thinking about death and suffering right now, and so it applies in that sense. And, and, and churches all over the world right now are being persecuted this way. The church is being persecuted more today than it ever has in many places around the world. And so there are Christians that are meeting that know that their lives are in danger, yet they're doing it anyway. They're continuing to, to live faithfully in their daily lives, even though they're being exiled from their families and their communities 
Uh, there are folks who literally live with this type of persecution every single day. We need to understand that we can identify here whether in America, uh, because of circumstances of life, where we are, what may be coming, but there are Christians all over who can identify with this. Regardless, we all know what pressure is about. We all know what affliction is about. Uh, we, we, we may even, some of you may know what poverty is all about. You, you know what it's like to live with that. You have before. You may be struggling right now. Uh, suffering, challenges, opposition in life, we know what that's about. And living the Christian life, one thing's for certain, you, even if you're not persecuted to this extent, you're going to face opposition. So what do we do when we face these things? Well, we could just quit. We could give up. And say it's too hard. And listen, a lot of people do that. A lot of people walk away from their faith. And, and, and either they were never saved in the first place or they've decided to live contrary to the will of God. People do it all the time. Churches do it all the time. It's too tough. We can't continue. So that's an option. And listen, in the sense that we give up and we surrender to God and we quit trying to make it on our own, that's a good thing. All right, so there is a sense where we do need to give up, or we do need to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own because we can't. But what I'm talking about here is people just throwing in the towel and saying it's too much. We can't do it anymore. Uh, it's not worth the risk. Compromising. Uh, you know, I'll accept Jesus as Lord. I may even go to church on Sunday. I'll do, the, you know, I'll do all that I'm supposed to do there. I'll check off all the boxes. But when it comes to living my life every day, I'm just going to live like everybody else because I don't want to be an outcast. I don't want to be persecuted in any form. There are a lot of folks who attempt to do that, and that is the same as giving up, uh, even more harmful. But Jesus offers a different way, and, he, and that's the, the second reality that we see here, and that's the challenge of faithfulness. Um, you know, there's the reality of persecution, but then there's a challenge that Jesus gives. In the midst of that persecution, he says, be faithful. Look at verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have affliction for 10 days. Now, 10 days doesn't literally mean 10 days. It's, it's representative. It's symbolic of a period of time. You know, in Revelation, uh, we see numbers uh, represented, that represent different things. Ten, 10 represents completeness. And so what this is talking about is that you're going to suffer for a period of time, and, and you will suffer for that complete period of time, but it will come to an end. He's telling them. He's, he's just keeping it real. He's saying, listen, things are tough, and they're about to get a lot, a lot tougher. Um, Jesus brings up the extent of their faithfulness, of our faithfulness, though, in the midst of that. Be faithful until death, he says, and I will give you the crown of life. You're going to suffer. Things are bad. They're going to get worse, but be faithful. Be faithful, and I will reward you for your faithfulness to the point of death. That's radical faithfulness. That's not just coming to church and being faithful when everybody else is doing what you're doing, and it's easy, or life is good. It's faithfulness in the midst of that boulder that's crushing you, of that great affliction, that pressure, whatever it is, the challenge. Be faithful. Don't quit. Don't deny your faith. Don't give up. It's going to be hard, but I will give you strength. Don't give up. We're called to be faithful in the midst of the world that we live in. We are called in this day and time, in 2021, in the midst of a pandemic and everything else, the, the political turmoil, the, the racial and social unrest, all of the affliction that we see in our time, we are called as believers to live for the Lord right now. He's put us here for this purpose. And Jesus, just as he's saying to the church in Smyrna, he's saying, I know it's hard. It's probably going to get harder. It is for them, and it, it probably will for us as well in the future. But be faithful. We are still called to faithfulness. It has never been easy for faithful Christians, and, and I don't know why we expect that it should be now. I mean, there, of course, are, are great aspects of being a believer and, and the reward, the eternal reward, would make it worth anything we would face in life. But throughout history, we've seen God's people suffer for their faith, and we shouldn't expect anything else, yet we're still called to be faithful. So that sounds about right, right? So we can just stop right here, and we can get out of here early, and you can eat early. Not so fast. Don't, don't turn off 
your device yet because we need to understand what this involves. I mean, this, yeah, it's easy to say, hey, let's just be faithful. It's going to be hard. Let's be faithful. But what, what are we talking about here? How are we supposed to do that? Well, you know, faithfulness is hard. And we need to understand why it is. It's easy to say it, hard to do. One of the reasons it's hard is because uh, maybe it's just because we like to be comfortable. I mean, how many of you would like to go back to the days where we didn't have uh, central heating and air? We're about to have some really cold weather here in the next few days. We have hot summers here in Alabama. I mean, most of us don't know what that's like. Some of you do. You grew up without those, those comforts. We like to be comfortable, and we're used to being comfortable. So, so maybe faithfulness is hard because it causes us to be uncomfortable. When faith becomes a challenge, when it's difficult, we, we tend to want to give up. Uh, we want to do away with the discomfort. We like for things to be easy, so we want to ease back into easy. We want things to get easy quick. And, and listen, let's be honest, that's one of the reasons this has been so hard the past year, because we've been forced to do things that are uncomfortable, that we don't like. That, that we would just as soon live without, but, but sometimes life just doesn't allow for that. Faithfulness may be a challenge because we don't want to risk failure. Maybe it's because, hey, I, I might fail, and I, nobody likes failure. There's a lot to be learned from failure, but we don't like it. It doesn't feel good, and, and certainly none of us look to fail. I would hope not, and so sometimes that'll cause us to not want to be faithful. We've been hurt before. We don't want to be hurt again, so we don't want to risk that. Maybe it's a challenge because we want to preserve ourselves, which is closely connected to that. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to risk something bad happening. You know, we, we don't want to be persecuted. You know, whenever we're threatened, that fight or flight, self-preservation kicks in. When someone's being mean or someone actually is physically threatening us, the, the natural reaction of human beings is to protect yourself and those you love. And so maybe the risk, the threat of harm, persecution, whether physical or mental, causes you to go into self-preservation mode, and that, that's, that's a reason. But we're not really willing to do what God's called us to do. If Jesus says suffer even to the point of death, we got to be willing to do that. Um, it's difficult for some people to be faithful in their marriage. Why is that? Well, I, I think a big reason is because marriage isn't easy. It's great. I love being married, but marriage is work, and it takes commitment, uh, undying commitment. It's not based on feeling or emotion, and, and marriage also requires, and I think this is a, a huge part of why many marriages fail, marriage requires vulnerability. It requires that I be willing to give myself and to open myself up, much the way living for the Lord does. Uh, I have to be willing to be vulnerable, and, and a lot of people just aren't willing to do that. And so they never reach that level of intimacy with their spouse or that with their, in their relationship with Christ because they don't truly open themselves up and receive all that he has. Maybe these are the reasons it's such a challenge for us to be faithful. Faithfulness to God is not always easy. It is not always comfortable. Faithful to, faithfulness to God requires authenticity. It requires openness. It requires undying devotion. And it requires that we make ourselves vulnerable. We have to lay down our lives. We have to give ourselves to the Lord. Lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow him. That's what faithfulness requires. Faithfulness is fine when things are going well. It's easy when you're surrounded with other believers who are like-minded. But it gets difficult when you face opposition, when you get out into the real world. Whether it be work or school or, or social activity. Whatever it is, it can be difficult when we face opposition, and that's when people struggle. So we have the option. Do we want to quit? Do we want to compromise? Or do we want to be faithful? Jesus says in verse 10, be faithful. What does that look like? If you look up synonyms for the word faithful, you're going to find words like trustworthy, dependable, loyal, authentic, devoted, dedicated, and committed. All of those things. That's what we're talking about. 
in a spiritual sense. Faithful, faithfulness means that I'm committed to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I open my life up to him. The Holy Spirit enters my life and begins to shape me through my circumstances, through, through actions, through challenges, through his word. Certainly, as, as he works in and through me and I live my life according to his instructions and allow him to direct me, allow him to guide me and to teach me and to make me more like him, he shapes me through all of those things, through his word, through life circumstances, through challenges, uh, through, through trusting him, stepping out in faith and, and, and experiencing his faithfulness, through other believers gathering and, and worshiping, through uh, small groups of discipleship and one-on-one discipleship relationships. The Holy Spirit uses all of those things to shape us. That's what faithfulness looks like. We continue in that and live according to that. Faithfulness is not flawlessness. It doesn't mean that I never make a mistake. It doesn't mean that I don't fall flat on my face from time to time. We all do that. It means that when that happens, we repent, we turn from whatever we did wrong, and we turn back to God. It means that sometimes we make mistakes honestly, but we still are imperfect human beings. So it's not flawlessness. Don't mistake faithfulness for flawlessness. Faithfulness says, God, uh, here I am. I'm yours. I'm imperfect. I want to walk in fellowship with you. You take me with all of my imperfections. You take me where, where I am and make me what you want me to be. That's what faithfulness looks like. It also means staying with it, staying on the journey. Faithfulness means that when, when things get tough, I don't give up. Even when I feel like giving up, even when I don't think I have the energy to keep moving forward because of that pressure, whatever that affliction is in my life or many afflictions that I'm experiencing, it means that I'm going to keep going no matter what, that I'm just going to keep taking one day at a time and keep putting one foot in front of the other and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and his faithfulness each step of the way. It's living a life of faithfulness where we are continually shaped, continually transformed by the Holy Spirit and and the Word of God. Faithfulness means having integrity and authenticity, not just in one circumstance or situation or surrounded by like-minded people. It means continually living a life of faithfulness regardless of where where I am. Look again at verse 10, what Jesus says to, to Smyrna. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have affliction for 10 days. Don't, don't miss the fine print of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to the church, I want to encourage you, it's been tough. It's going to get a lot tougher. He doesn't pull any punches. It's going to get tougher. But be faithful anyway. And then when because of your faith you're persecuted even more and things get even tougher, continue in your faithfulness. When your health suffers, when you lose people that you care about, because of persecution or affliction or whatever, when things don't go your way, at home, at work, wherever, he's saying when, when, when you can't make money, for your, uh, make money to provide food for your family because of the affliction, because of your faith, stay faithful. Continue to be faithful. This is what we're called to do. We're no different from the church at Smyrna. The tougher things get, the more faithful we should be. And life is difficult many times. This is what faithfulness looks like. But how do we do that? How can we do that in the midst of difficult circumstances? And you can hear the church at Smyrna, some of them, you can hear them saying the same thing. I understand this is what's required, but this is tough. How do we keep going? How do we continue to move forward? Well, the first thing is, is we shouldn't deny reality. We shouldn't pretend that life should be a bed of roses for those who are believers, One day we'll be in heaven and we won't have problems. We won't have suffering. We won't have sin and affliction and sickness and all of that. But until we get there, Jesus said, in this world you will suffer. Plain and simple. You will have trials, tribulations. So we can't deny that. Jesus doesn't deny that. He's honest with them. Things are hard. They're going to get harder. He said, it's tough. But then he says, see past the fear. Look past your present circumstances. Do not be afraid. Jesus understands our fear. He's not surprised by our fear. He says, I understand it, but I'm here with you. See past your fear and look at me. Fix your eyes on me. We live in a world filled with fear. Everywhere we look, pandemic, violence, tragedy, 
death. I mean, there's all sorts of, of, of causes for fear and many, many people who are afraid. We could justifiably, based on what's going on in our world, we could justifiably live in fear. I mean, no one would blame us for that. But Jesus says, you've got to see past that. You've got to look past that fear and look at me. We live in a world of fear, but we don't have to live in fear. There are a lot of reasons to be afraid, but we don't have to succumb to that. We can trust in the Lord. We can rely on him. We can look past our circumstances and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who will continue to perfect us and shape us if we depend on him. When we look past the fear, we can see our Savior. Look at how Jesus signs this letter in verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. What's the significance there? The first and the last, dead but came to life. Well, for one thing, being the first and the last to, to them, to us, means that no matter what happens, he's always been here, he will be, he always will be. He's constant. No matter what's happening in life, Jesus is here. He's with his people. He is, he is both present and on his throne. He's omnipresent. There's never a time where he hasn't been and never a time where he will not be. We can take comfort in that. He's here. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, we, can, we can take great comfort in that. So, so nothing can happen then to believers without his allowing it. So if he does allow us to suffer, if he allows the church at Smyrna to suffer, that, that 10 days, that's important because there is, there is a set time that he's going to allow that to happen and it will come to an end. Whatever we face, whatever hardships we face, if we belong to Jesus, he will allow it for a purpose, but it will be temporary. Don't know how long, but it will come to an end. We can trust that, that one day he'll deliver us from all of this permanently. And so we can, we can trust that he is God and he will continue to be God and he will take care of us. But he's, he's also called, he signs the, the letter, he who was dead and is alive again. In other words, death, the seeming end of everything, doesn't even have a threat. We're not threatened by that. We shouldn't be. We're not captive to that. Has no power over Christ and we who are in him, death has no power over us. And the, listen, the threat of death in Smyrna was real. Every day they lived with it. And, and they knew that it was a possibility. And so to hear that, to hear, hey, death has no power. He, is, he has conquered death. Our Savior has conquered death. Should be a great source of comfort for them. It should be for us as well. We know the one who was, who is, and who has conquered death. Remember who God is. Look past the source of fear, he's saying. Acknowledge what causes your fear. Face it. Don't deny it. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do, not what he's telling them to do. He's saying, recognize it, acknowledge it, and then look past that fear and look to me. The author, perfecter of your faith, the one who was, who is, who is to come, the one who was dead and is now alive, has defeated death and has conquered it for all those who are in him. Twice in Revelation, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Twice. In chapter 1, we read in verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, when I saw him, John says, I fell at Jesus' feet like a dead man. He said, or he laid his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. And then we just read, verse 10, he said, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison to test you. You will have affliction for 10 days. Notice the similarities here. In each case, a reminder is associated with the encouragement not to be afraid. And the reality's there, but he says, don't be afraid. And let me encourage you. He's, he, he's not just simply saying, don't be afraid. He's saying, don't be afraid. Remember who I am. You don't have to be afraid. I, I'm, I'm the first and the last. I, I will be here. I always have been. I'm going to be faithful. That's not a question. I will, I will continue to be with you. I was dead. Now I'm alive. Death doesn't even threaten you. I mean, you've conquered death because I've conquered death. You have victory over death because I've conquered death. He's saying, so remember who I am. Remember whose you are. 
who you belong to. And remember, Jesus is saying, hey, I've been there. I've experienced great affliction, more than any of us could ever imagine. I've been there. I've suffered. I've experienced death, yet I've achieved victory over death. So he's saying, listen, I know what you're going through. I know it's hard, and it's going to get harder. But look past that. Look past your fear and look to me. And always remember this. It's by the grace of God, his Holy Spirit, that we make it. There's no such thing as superhero Christians who by themselves have been faithful in the midst of persecution and suffering. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that any of us can be faithful. You know, all this sounds great, you know, and and listen, we can write all this down and take notes, and I hope you're doing that so that you can go back and, and, and internalize this. You know, we can take down instructions for being faithful, but if we go out and try to do it Lone Ranger on our own, in our own strength, we're going to fail. You cannot be faithful on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. William Barclay said this. He said, God does not so much need extraordinary people as he needs ordinary people whom he can fill with his power so that they can do extraordinary things. If we want to meet the challenge of faithfulness, we desperately need the strength of God. And I want to show you what that looks like or what that means. I've got here a couple of, of, of pillars that I've made. Uh, just, you know, they're cardboard, but they're going to serve as pillars, okay? So we're just going to, we're going to pretend that this represents um, what our lives are built on, right? I mean, you know, the reason we have a life as believers is because of what Jesus has done. I mean, he did the heavy lifting. I mean, he saved us. He set us free. He died so that we could be free. So, so we have faith, right? And so what we're going to take to represent our lives is this piece of paper. And our lives are like this sometimes, flimsy, right? If we try to be superhero Christians on our own, I mean, we're weak. We can't stand up to the pressures. And so we'll, we'll pretend that this is our, represents our life. And I have here just a small metal jar that, that we're going to pretend this represents that boulder of affliction, of suffering, of persecution. And, and if, if we on our own try to withstand the pressures of life, what do you think is going to happen? Well, of course, that's exactly what's going to happen. And then I'm going to drop my box. Can you guys help me out here? <laughs> there is somebody here to help. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. But so that's what's going to happen every single time, right? We're going to, something's going to happen. Pressure's going to come. And on our own, we can't make it. So something has to take place in order to strengthen this, right? How do we do that? How do we strengthen our lives? Well, we've just said, if we're going to be faithful, we need the strength of God. And there are many ways that we can do that. Many, many ways that we can be strengthened. One is simply by becoming a Christian in the first place, right? We've got to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. If we don't have Christ, then we can't have the strength of God. So his presence in our life has to be real. So that's one way. Another way is that we practice spiritual disciplines of our faith. We pray. We spend time with the Lord. And then we spend time in his word allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us continually through his word and through his work in our lives. We surround ourselves with other believers. We uh, allow ourselves to be discipled by other believers. We are encouraged by other believers. We desperately need each other. There's strength in numbers. So one of the ways we tap into the strength of God is by spending time with each other. We share the gospel by practicing our faith, sharing the gospel both verbally and by the way that we live. That's another way we tap into the strength of God. Another way is that we just continue. Even when we feel like giving up, we continue. We step out. We trust God when he calls us to step out, and then we continue in faith, and then we just trust him from day to day. So all of those different ways are ways that we strengthen our lives. So we've changed our lives quite a bit. What was once flimsy is now a little bit stronger. So we're going to try this again, and hopefully this time I won't need Ethan's help. Hopefully nothing will fall, uh, but we're going to try this again. Now that we have the strength of God, let's see if it can stand the pressure. Just a, a simple change, but because of the fact that I was willing to take the time to take this piece of paper, same piece of paper, but because I was willing to take the time and make the necessary changes, now it can stand this 10 can, this bucket. Well, our lives on our own, 
they're flimsy. We're weak individuals. We're going to be weak. So if we're going to be able to withstand the pressures of life, we can't do it on our own. We've got to take the time that's necessary. And it does take time. It is a daily commitment, endurance, daily walking in our faith and doing all of those things and more necessary to be close to the Lord and to grow close, closer each day. If we're willing to do that, we've got to be willing to do that. But if we are, we will be strengthened by the Lord. And that is how we make it. And he says, if you're facing difficulties, look past that. Look to me. Allow me to strengthen you. Are there things in your life that are just crushing you, that are weighing you down, that you can't withstand, that you don't know how you're going to move forward? Jesus is saying, I know where you are. I know exactly where you are. I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. I understand I've been there. I've experienced that and more. I'm here, and I call you to be faithful, even to the point of death. But then he promises a great promise, and that's the reward of faithfulness. If we are faithful, if we remain in faithfulness, we will be rewarded for that. We will continue to be rewarded for that, and we will receive the ultimate reward, the crown of life. W.R. Matby once said that the, or Maltby rather, once said that the, the, that Christ promises people three things. He said, one, they will they will be in constant trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Number two, that they would be completely fearless. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. And that they would be absurdly happy. And one of the things that distinguishes Christians or should is in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, there's joy. That's what he meant by that. Not that we feel good all the time. Ha ha, funny, funny, happy. That we have joy that transcends the pleasantness or unpleasantness of our circumstances. But verse 10, the reason is given to us. The reason we can have joy is the promise. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of righteousness. Jesus says, I want to help you be faithful. I want to give you what you need. I'm here. I'm never leaving. I'm with you. I've been there. I've experienced it. I know what it takes to get through and I have the power to give you the ability to get through. You can't do it on your own, but, but that's okay because if you trust me and rely on me and allow me to strengthen you, I'll give you what you need. All that you need and more to endure, I'll give you the power. It starts with having a relationship with Christ. You can't do it without him, but once he's in your life, then you have the strength that you need. I'm I'm going to give you the strength, he says. You put all this together, hey, it's tough. It's going to get tougher, but I'm with you. I've conquered death. You have no reason to fear. You, know, there, you, you have a lot of, of things that can cause fear, but you don't have to focus on that. You can look past that and look at me. I'm going to strengthen you so that you can be faithful. And then once you're done, I'm going to reward you with the crown of righteousness. All of that should encourage us. It encourages the church at Smyrna, and it should encourage us as well. Now, you may be thinking, hey, these issues that I'm facing are, 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 are the big ones. I mean, it's easy to talk about this, and listen, I hear you saying be faithful, but you're not facing what I'm facing, and you're right, I'm not. But Jesus has faced worse, and he endured, and he's God, and he's powerful. You may be thinking, hey, we've never experienced anything like COVID before. There's nothing that compares to this, and you're right. In our lifetime, there's not. But God's been God since eternity. He's always been. He is. He always will be. There's nothing that's ever happened that was beyond his ability to handle. And so he's saying, I'm here. I'm, I'm, you don't have to do it on your own. I'll strengthen you. He's saying, you have to trust me, though. The issues might be physical. They might be relational. They may cover any number of, of, of areas of your life or multiple areas of your life. They're real. We're not minimizing it. We're going to be real about it, just like Jesus was. They're hard. Things could get harder. We have to face them. They're weighing you down. But Jesus says, I understand. I I know what you're going through. I empathize with you. And he writes, be faithful. He never expects you to do it on your own. He doesn't want you to do it on your own. He wants you to give yourself to him, to rely on his Holy Spirit, to allow him to strengthen you one day at a time, and, and, and to allow you to cope with every situation, one situation at a time. Through his spirit, he'll give you strength. But then he adds something very important. Don't miss this. He says, he who overcomes 
will not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? Well, the first death we all experience, right? One day we're going to stop breathing and, and our lives will come to an end. But then there's a second death. For those who are not in Christ, they are separated from all eternity, from Jesus, from their Lord. And so from the one who created them. So if we don't make him Lord in life, we will be separated from him in death. But what he's saying is that if you're a believer, we're all going to face that first death, but you don't have to face that second death. You're spared from that. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by that second death. We're talking about total extinction here. Uh, second death was a Jewish rabbinic term that meant that total extinction. You, you cease to have relationship with God, separated from all of eternity. Those who don't have a relationship with him in life will not in death. Forgotten by everyone was the idea that, that, that this phrase carried with it. You know, there's a, um, a few years ago, a construction crew in Philadelphia, were, they were building an apartment building. And they were preparing for the foundation. They were digging for the foundation, and they, they made a startling discovery. They unearthed some coffins that uh, and it led them to believe, figured out very quickly that they were digging in an old, an old cemetery, an old burial uh, site. And so they immediately stopped construction. They brought in Rutgers University, uh, some folks from the university, who immediately began working to try to figure out why these remains were here. There were several of them. And so they were trying to figure out why are they here because they weren't supposed to be there. Well, they did some digging and realized that this site was near the Betsy Ross house and was the old site of the First Baptist Church that, ex that was established there in 1707. Well, later, as many churches do, they moved locations. They went to another area, and that cemetery, all of the bodies in that cemetery were supposed to be relocated and were recorded as being re relocated. And obviously, they found out that they weren't. So, so they, they stopped everything. They halted construction and began to research and try to figure out who these forgotten people were. And they, they weren't required to do this. Unless it's a federal project, there aren't any guidelines. Philadelphia, I mean, they had no guidelines that said that, that the company who was doing the construction was required to stop, but they did it. And, and, and during the process, one of the professors who was heading up the archaeological dig, which is what it became, wh who was heading this up, was asked, why are y'all doing this? You're not required to do this. Why are you doing this? And this is, is what she said. Kimberly Moran, a professor and director of forensics at Rutgers University, said this. She said, we're trying to help this forgotten group of individuals. That's exactly what they were. No one even knew that they were there. That, that they existed. They had been forgotten. You know, I don't know what the spiritual condition of those individuals was. You know, I hope that they were secure, that they were saved. But I do know this. Those who are in Christ, those of us who are saved, will never be forgotten. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that second death, total extinction, so to speak, you're going to go on in one of two places, in heaven or hell. But by hell, he's saying, you don't have to worry about that. He's saying, that second death cannot harm you. I will never forget you. He's saying, you're mine, and nothing will ever change that. So even if the worst happens in life, your life ends, you're secure in my hands. We think of death as the end, right? And second death, certainly. And, and that's the idea. That's the way we're supposed to think of it, that there's once, once that, that's the final chapter, that there's no chance of redemption after that. That's the idea that it carries with it. In verse 11, Jesus says that this second and so-called final death cannot harm us. It's not the end for us, for those who are in Christ. Not only will you not be forgotten, you, you won't be hurt by it. You can't be touched by it because he has conquered it. He's defeated it. It no longer has power over us. There is no end for those who are faithful by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to know Christ. You have to be saved. But if the Holy Spirit is living within, within you and through you, there is no end. And so again, he's saying, do not fear. Instead, hear the word of God. Dear church, be faithful. Be faithful to the end. The man who's faithful to death dies to live. But the man who saves his life at the cost of principles and at the price of his loyal, 
loyalty to Christ lives to die. I would much rather die to live in Christ and through Christ. And so all of us, the challenge is clear. Be faithful. Regardless of what's going on, be faithful. The question is, will we? I pray that we will. Let's go before the Lord together. Father, thank you for the ability that we have. Lord, you've challenged us. You challenged the church at Smyrna. We've heard the same challenge as your followers. Things are tough. We face many afflictions in life. We face from different angles, from different directions, all kinds of troubles, of trials. But you're aware of them all. You've been there. You've experienced suffering, pain, agony, a death none of us could imagine so that we could be free, so that we could be saved, so that we could accept the gift of salvation that you offer and allow you to come into our lives, to take up residence, the Holy Spirit living in us, strengthening us day by day by day. And as we do our part, as we spend time with you and in your word and and do all of the things that, that, that are required of faithfulness, you will strengthen us even more. You will draw us closer to you. You will give us assurance and, and hope for the future. Anticipation, even. In the midst of affliction, we can look past the suffering. We can look past the fear, the oppression, and we can look ahead to you and fix our eyes on you, knowing that you are God, that you have always been, you are, and you will always be, and that you've promised never to leave us or forsake us. And even if the worst possible thing could happen to us, if our lives are to end, you will still not forget us. That second death cannot hurt us because we are secure in your hands. Lord, I pray that we who are here listening at home, all of us, I pray that we all have that security. If there's somebody that's a part of this time of worship right now who's never accepted that gift of eternal life that only comes through you, through your son Jesus, as a result of his death and resurrection, I pray that they would would cry out to you right now in this time of prayer. Ask you to come into their lives and forgive them of their sin. For those of us who know you, I pray that we would draw on the strength that only you can provide, that we wouldn't try to do it on our own, but that we would depend on you and that we would do what's necessary each day to remain faithful. Lord, you are always faithful. There's no question about that. You've always been. We can expect it in the future. The question is, will we remain faithful. And I pray that we will, because if we do, there's in store for us a great reward, one that we can never earn or deserve. I pray that we would give you our lives as a result, though, in appreciation out of our love for you, and that everything that we do would be for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.